Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. see also i'm Brody lancaster and i'm kate jinx and this week we're doing a mood check and talking about some tv that we've been trying desperately to keep up with we're also going to be doing a bit of a deep dive on rom-coms recent ones past ones ones that might have flown under your personal radar and just having a chat about what they're adding to or maybe taking from the genre that we all love so so much All right, should we start this episode with a mood check? Where are you at, mood ring? Oh, my mood ring is like, I'm in a mood. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even really understand the nature of the mood, but I feel like I'm in a mood and could be on a jag today. What about you, BL? I I think it says everything I need to say with the fact that I looked up if Mercury was in retrograde because I just needed something to blame mm-hmm. my, like, absolutely horrid mood on. <laughs> um yeah I've just been really short-tempered today and really like pissy there's no other word to describe it I've been a, if there had been anyone else in my house they would have been really upset because I've been a brat is mercury in retrograde.com <laughs> no not till September <laughs> no. okay so All we right. need we something else to use as an excuse for three more months well there was a full moon last night so there's a bit of a full moon hangover happening today yeah sure that's it mm-hmm. I mean I'm in the kind of mood where I saw not only a double rainbow but a double ended double rainbow so that's like Two rainbows on top of each other, but you get to see the full arc of both. Oh, my God. Yeah, like very special. I don't – I think I've seen that once before. And 
I looked up and I was like, wow. And <laughs> I did the thing. I took some photos. Yeah. Sent the photos. Happy pride. <laughs> Pretty much. And then I was like, all right, back inside. And yeah. just, you know, kept on with the mood. Yeah. We can't always be the fun gals, you know? We can't always be the fun gals. And today we're not, but <laughs> we're creating entertainment regardless. Okay, so we've done our mood check. Mood check. That's a new segment. <laughs> For only We'll only do it when we're annoyed. <laughs> um, but what, what were you up to before you got in a mood, BL? Before I got in a mood, I was having a really nice time, I think. I had... Kind of, I figured out, I think, the balance of my socializing on the weekend. I had a bit of a weekend, which we love to say to each other. I went out for a nice dinner at Old Palm Liquor on a Friday night. That looked nice. It was great. Really good lighting for a little pic for Insta. And then on Saturday, I like stayed in bed and read my book until about midday. Oh. And like watched Jeopardy and had breakfast in bed. How luxurious. I know. It really, it really felt that way. And then I went to North Melbourne to see Set Piece, the Nat Randall and Anna Brecken show for Rising. And then I was going to go into the city and see a, a few other Rising things, but it was getting a bit gloomy and I just kind of wanted to go for a bit of a wander. So I wandered kind of until I saw a tram stop. Mm -hmm. And on the way I went to an Asian supermarket and bought a bunch of stuff. And then I went and saw Men, the new oh. Alex Garland film. So met from set piece to men. Yeah, wow. I also saw set piece, but on the Sunday. Yeah. They are very different. <laughs> uh, well, we saw two very different shows of set piece, but also set piece to men could not, you could not find two more different pieces of art. Did you like men? I think I liked men. Do you like men? <laughs> Look, lowercase, not so much, but capital M-E-N, A24's men. Um, I think I did. Like, I'm hearing a lot of mixed to bad reviews. Mm -hmm. I think, like, I've only done a bit of a skim of, like, the letterboxed reviews and things like that. And the general tone of them is kind of, uh, yeah, like, we needed a man to tell us about misogyny. Like, thanks, Alex Garland like catch up men, which I think is really, uh, I mean, it's confirming your worst instincts or something, you know? And I have definitely taken that kind of attitude into a film or a piece of culture before, but I think men has actually like some interesting things to say about like the, the myth of creation and like Eve and Lilith and the way that uh, men have kind of carried this resentment and sometimes hatred towards women forever, what they expect from us, what they need from, you know, they need us to survive where we generally speaking are like the source of life and they fucking hate us, you know, mm -hmm. like these kind of ideas, but also it's a horror movie and it, it's a really effective, I love a horror movie. I love to jump and like make noises when I'm scared. And it had all of that. It had me like covering my eyes and being like, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch. But then also because it's this kind of folk horror about misogyny and how much it like weighs a person down, it also kind of got annoying. Like, mm -hmm. you know, our final girl, or like the only female character in the film, um, played by Jessie Buckley, our queen, my queen, our queen. I think she's yours. 
Okay. I love Jesse Buckley. And jury's out, BL. Jury's out. No, she you, seems great. She's good. She's like, <laughs> I'm just being controversial. She has a really good haircut, you know. Jessie Buckley is the star of the film and she's like ostensibly like in horror, the final girl. And so all of the kind of aggression and horror is happening to her. And she's, this is not a spoiler, but she's like fighting back. But then at a point, like the men just keep coming and she at a point is just kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the point where, like, me out loud in the cinema went, oh, fucking hell. And so that was kind of funny and just the way that it was, like... In a fun way. In a fun way. Mm-hmm. Like, it was annoying. Mm-hmm. It was annoying how much the men wanted to say their piece. Yeah. Yeah. I was desperate to say before, that's what she said, but I didn't. <laughs> and About the men keeping on coming. Yeah. And so, <laughs> modern day hero me... <laughs> Um, look, the trailer is intriguing. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a it's a fun movie that's fun to talk about and think about. Mm, I got to see it. I got to see it. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about it properly with you. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think that idea of like, oh, a male director cannot tell a story about feminism. Mm. It sounds like it's reckoning with the man side. Coming from Alex Garland, who made like Ex Machina, for example, I haven't seen all his work. I like haven't seen Annihilation or Devs, which I heard such great things about. But like just thinking of it in terms of something like Ex Machina, which is about like man creating woman or creating life. I mean, he clearly has a point of view and like a perspective. Yeah, totally. I was going to say, I think it's so reductive to Mm. say like, oh, he's a dude. He shouldn't be making that because what else, like, what do you actually want him to make then is the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, that point of view when he made something like Ex Machina, and it was kind of inversed in the way in the characters that we focus on or the story mm. that it was telling, you know, he's applauded for that. But he, you know, hmm. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's a good movie, I think. Yeah, I want to see it. Or even if it's not a good movie, it it, it gets you talking. Well, it got you talking in the cinema out loud. <laughs> yes. that's, that's what you want. Sorry to everybody at the Nova. There was a couple, <laughs> there was a straight couple sitting immediately in front of me and my friend and she just had her head on his shoulder, like classic straight couple in a horror movie pose the entire movie. Maybe she was asleep. It got to a point where I was like, what are you two thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yeah. What about you? Me? Look, I saw Elvis. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) To the um, Melbourne premiere of Elvis last week. It's been so long between our our catch-ups that Mm -hmm. I... That does seem like a long time ago. Yeah. Um... It was busy. It was a busy, busy movie. What else did I do? I went to a couple of things at Rising. I also saw Nat Randall and Anna Brecken's incredible set piece. I have, God, I have been listening to that Angel Olsen album that you recommended last week on repeat. There's nothing else being played for There's me. There's nothing better. It's beautiful. Incredible. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, so since we last spoke, you've watched The Staircase? I've finished The Staircase. That's a huge, uh, in, what's the word? Undertaking? Undertaking. I was going to say, like, absorption. <laughs> <laughs> I did absorb all of, yeah. all of, um, all of The Staircase. 
Also a show where there are so many Australians. Right? It's it's so heavily Australian. I wouldn't, they wouldn't have filmed it here. It's very American in its setting. Priscilla Presley from Elvis, from Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is in this. <laughs> she plays Tony Collette's daughter, <laughs> biological daughter in The Staircase. It's Australian and it's British because it's Colin Firth plays um, Michael Peterson and Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones plays one of the adopted German daughters. Yeah, and there's also Odessa Young, another Australian in it. She's the other daughter. Had no clue she was Australian. Yeah, but great cast. And as we already discussed, Michael Stuhlbarg, Parker Posey, Juliette Binoche. Huge. The How did you feel? <laughs> I think it's the end of the first or second episode when they're putting his case together for trial and then that phone call or the news comes in and Michael Stuhlbarg, it cuts to Michael Stuhlbarg just going, Another woman's body fell down a staircase and you were the only one present? Yeah. It Such was, a good reveal. Yeah, because I wasn't up on the staircase yeah. before this. So it was very, I mean, it sounds terrible, it was very fun to watch, but, I mm. mean, it's all happened. Um, but it was really gruesome and I found the, I don't know, the constant, you see Tony Collette's character dying in a few different ways. Mm. Um, and Based was, on the different theories. Yeah, and it's very gory it's turns out it's really hard to watch a beloved actor you've grown up adoring um and thought of as a friend a sister mm-hmm. a mummy you know in various roles just be brutally either killed or accidentally slip and die over and over again yeah but our theory interesting anyway we shouldn't See give too I mean? much away but our theory i was like Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe. This does potentially check out. I mean, there's a reason why it was so widely accepted. Mm. Yeah. So what are you going to watch next? I mean, I'm deep in Love Island. It's back. Um, Oh, no. It's like that's a reality step too far for me. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I don't know if I recommend Love Island, but at the same time, I know it's every season starts and it's boring, but I know... I'm going to, it's unmissable TV for me for a couple, you you go into it and you go, there's no way I'm going to watch 50 episodes of this. And yet, two months later, <laughs> two months, 50 I'm episodes. following so many new couples on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to give us some of the highlights as it uh, goes uh, on. I don't even know if I want to do that. Real Housewives of Dubai has started and I don't know how I'm going to stick with it. Usually a new Real Housewives franchise starting from the very beginning is like such an appealing concept. This one has Caroline from Ladies of London, right? Which I've never watched. Oh, that is juicy. Really? Yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's quite dark. Also, I must warn, it's a bit like mm. Beverly Hills season 2 dark. Gotcha. But Caroline was pretty hilarious in it. Yeah, well she's very much like a standout kind of uh, character already in Dubai. She's getting married to a much younger man. Because mm-hmm. um, at the end of Ladies of London, I mean, it's not, this is not a spoiler. She's essentially like, screw you ladies, I'm going to Dubai. Like, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, because when it when she was introduced and she, she was doesn't like, speak like that, by the way. I'm Carolyn Stanbury. And I was like, what? I Also, I know that name. <laughs> Dubai, I don't know. There's something like not quite right about the housewives there it's so glittery and it's so opulent and it's so rich which usually is a big appeal of housewives but I kind of feel like 
Real Housewives is such a phenomenon and it's such a kind of a stereotype at the at this point mm. that for any new franchise, especially this one, the people on it are kind of going in acting like quote unquote real housewives. Right. So I just don't know how how long I'm gonna stick with it or how genuine they're being. Yeah, you need like a Leah, Real Housewives of New York. She was a good entry into the world because yeah. she was like, there's no one else like her or in you, the franchise. Or you need the ones who like sign up for the show and are kind of scrappy in season one and then see what they look like on TV and mm-hmm. then completely change for season two. Whereas these ones have come in like airbrushed. Yeah, right. Like a yeah. Wendy on Potomac. A little Dr. Wendy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first season of the Kardashians is also ending just before this episode airs. I think it will surprise no one when I say I did not keep up with you the stick with it? new. I saw the first two and I was like, I could do this. And then probably yeah. forgot that it was on yeah, until yeah. you just said that. Yeah. I think it's a better show than the original one, but at the same time, um, as always with the Kardashians, I think they've got this, like, we're breaking the fourth wall. We're showing you everything we never showed before. And that is all a ruse for them to be able to hide everything they want to hide from us. Mm-hmm. Like the truth about the Kanye stuff, like all of his messiness that has been aired in public is not making it onto the show. The fact that Kylie is heavily pregnant is on the show, but not the fact that she was pregnant at a concert where the father of her children was performing and a dozen people died. That's not making it on the show. Like they're covering the stuff that they were always going to cover under the guise of showing everything, you know, sweeping it into their skims. Oh yeah. We're all getting crisped. A few episodes ago, we did quite a deep dive into comfort watches Mm -hmm. and a lot of the comfort watches actually could be filed under rom-coms. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to investigate the rom-com a little further. It deserves its own its own segment, its own mm. breathing room. Yeah. Absolutely. Rom-coms. Pro, con. Oh, my God. Pro. <laughs> I'm pro-com and pro-rom. Mm-hmm. But am I? Because there have been some real stinkers that I've seen lately. Yeah. And I feel like there's – I mean, I don't want to be that person who's like – they were only good in the 90s and early 2000s when I was growing up and everything seemed good. But maybe that was the truth. Well, maybe that they haven't been very good since then. Yeah, I feel like Because they were definitely great ones before then. That's true. I mean, it's a timeless genre, right? And I feel like as maybe creators get their own projects that they get to get off the ground... They go, what did I care about when I was younger? Rom-coms. What am I going to do now? Rom-coms. But what does everyone know about? The tropes of rom-coms. So let's like play with them. Let's fuck mm. with them. And I think I've realized that I don't like anything that is meta or self-referential about a genre that I find really earnest. Mm, yeah, because there was that film that came out, oh, I don't know, maybe we're talking six to eight years ago by Amy Poehler and it was called We Came Together. Oh, yeah. Which was like fucking with the genre and it was... It was, like, good for a trailer. I thought it was a trailer. <laughs> and then, then, then I realised yeah. it was a whole feature. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a funny sketch. Yeah. But it can't sustain a film. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, Rebel Wilson made that, I think it was a Netflix rom-com a couple of years ago. Or, oh, like, was it? Called Isn't It Romantic? Where she 
I think like very brutally like knocks her head while being mugged and wakes up. She's in this like fantastical kind of like Disney romantic comedy where oh, she's in a coma, right? No, that's the new one. She oh. wakes up from a coma and is a goes back to high school and is a cheerleader. Okay, right. I can't keep up with the rebel news. You can't keep up with rebels' head injuries. <laughs> There's a theme here. Um, also, a lot of rebel news this week. Anyway, mm-hmm. no, isn't it romantic? Like Liam Hemsworth was the main romantic lead, and he was like would do anything it took to, like, win her love. And Brandon Scott Jones, who I really love, who's a funny, like, comedic performer, played her gay best friend who, as her gay best friend in this fantastical film version of her life, had no life of his own. He Mm -hmm. just showed up to make, like, a quippy remark, do a makeover montage, and then, like, disappeared. So it had some things to say about, like, the genre as a whole, but I don't think it worked as an example of that genre, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I want to watch something of this genre, I just do like a blanket search for Meg Ryan or Sandra Bullock. Literally same. Sandra Bullock is one of, I think, my most searched term <laughs> on Netflix. Yeah, I'm just like, what's she done that I have might have missed? Yeah, and even if the you result what, nothing. is nothing that I've missed... But even if the result is The Heat, which is kind of a romantic comedy between her and Melissa McCarthy, like the platonic Mm rom-com, I'm still happy. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. Speaking of Sandra, the only rom-com I think I've seen recently that could is really truly a rom-com that is just rom and com is The Lost (laughs) City, which I've spoken about quite a, you know, quite a lot, but I really felt it was a... Very, a very good, it was a high entry for the genre yeah. of recent years. Yeah. And there have been just kind of so few really, really good ones that I think, you know, something like that really stands out. Mm. But what you mentioned just then in that it balanced, the, <laughs> sorry to like beleaguer a point, but like the rom and the com, hmm. I think is what is kind of missing from a lot of, you know, like you've got mail is a classic beloved rom-com, it's not laugh out loud funny. It's not like a fucking Apatow let's improv every scene and give everyone their funniest lines. It was just like a tightly written film with like great casting so the leads actually had some chemistry. Mm. And I think that is often missing from a lot of these projects where, you know, Netflix has like a a hot new star under their belt so they've got to be in everything Mm -hmm. or I don't know just like putting two hot people together on screen and assuming that something's (laughs) gonna happen yeah it's funny because there are a couple of like sub-genres of the rom-com right yeah there's like the self-referential rom-com there's the Christmas rom-com oh yeah which is a big genre of rom-com, mm-hmm. but they're really a bit too heavy on the rom most of the time. Yeah. In that kind of hallmark Christmas way. Christmas is so sickly and like saccharine. Yeah. A lot of the time. Shoot it into my veins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you've got like the queer rom-com. Yeah. But lately the queer rom-com is also a Christmas rom-com. There are so many, it's like we never had we never had a good gay Christmas, like a good yes. queer Christmas film. And now there is just like a plethora of them. 
there was happiest season and then there was the like the male version of happiest season single all the way single all the way yes the chemistry in both of those films was absolutely fucked like yeah. they, there was no chemistry whatsoever between the two leads in both of those films it was fucked and also no one fucked it, yeah i don't yeah they didn't right i think we saw a, i don't like think a so photo on the phone at one point in happiest season and it's not like they need to be super sexy. No. But, yeah, there was just zero chemistry in both films. I mean, actually, that's wrong. There was chemistry between K-Stew and Aubrey Plaza, obviously, but yes. not between <laughs> K-Stew and your queen, who's not my queen. Mackenzie Davis. Mm. Yeah. Um, we love Mackenzie. We love her in Station Eleven. <laughs> uh, I also like the kind of, like, sexy, older almost like a bordering on Viagra rom-com, like an it's complicated or a book club, you know? Yeah. A Sarah Paulson Holland Taylor kind of rom-com. Oh oh my God. Why has that not been made? I'm sure Sarah's been trying. I'm sure. Holland's like, give me a break. Yeah. I do love those. (laughs) I'm on Twitter. I love those age gap ones too. That would be really fun to see on screen. Hmm. It's like taking the Lake Bell and Alec Baldwin plotline from It's Complicated and turning them into their own movie. But please, but not do them. not let Ryan Murphy make that film. Please, <laughs> please, I beg of you. And also don't let the children come back. Remember how annoying Meryl and Alec Baldwin's children were in It's Complicated? Yeah. Uh, do I ever? No way. God. We talked about Palm Springs a few episodes ago. For that our, was a good one. For our time travel episode, and that was a great one. Set it up. I also really liked it. Had um, I think it was a Netflix one, so I'm not disparaging all Netflix rom coms. It had Zoe Dutch, Zoe Dutch, who's like a I think big with the teens. I don't know that much about her. Don't be mad at me if I um am am mislabeling Zoe Dutch, but I feel like I kind of missed the ball on her, but really like her on screen. I think she's really charming. And Glenn Powell, who was I most recently saw in Top Gun, who is a hunky hunky movie star Mm -hmm. and is just so charming and likable and they play it's essentially like they play the assistants of these very busy powerful people played by Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu and in order for them to have any kind of life of their own they need their bosses to fall in love with someone so that they're not chained to their desk being assistants all night, every night and every weekend. And so they conspire to set their bosses up and they, spoiler alert, <laughs> wonder what happens. They kind of fall for each other in the, in the process. It's like the parent trap. Yeah, it's kind of parent trap, except <laughs> the twin sisters didn't fall in love in the parent trap. Well, not in the parent trap you've seen. <laughs> oh, that is so gross. I will... Probably leave it in. Yeah, don't leave it in. There's one, there's, okay, you mentioned the platonic rom-com, which mm. is obviously not enough rom in the rom-com. Mm. Um, but the one that is that I keep thinking about, it, it came out last year. It sort of didn't go anywhere in particular, mm. unfortunately, um, but it was called Together Together by Nicole Beckwith. Yes. Starring Patty Harrison and Ed Helms. And in it, Ed Helms is like this middle-aged man, single man who really wants a child and employs the services of a surrogate and the surrogate is played by Patty Harrison who is just so good she's it. so good and they have incredible chemistry in the film yeah. and there's like quite a lot of the film you're like oh no they're not gonna get together are they and there are moments where you think that 
they're moving them in that direction and yeah. it's such a relief when it it turns into like a platonic yeah and that's not a spoiler for the film no. like the film isn't meant to like will they it's not like a will they get together x-files situation you know yeah case is closed already on that the truth is not out there they are just pals i like that the will they won't they that is most prominent in your mind is the x-files what is yours friends but there are so many of them with will there won't theirs in that show. Okay, fair, fair point. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was like normal. I liked it. <laughs> the truth is not out there. You're right. <laughs> and also had uh, Julio Torres in it, who is so funny. So and, funny. Uh, he's... Instagram is amazing if you don't follow it already. And his, like, little moment in Search Party, the mm-hmm. last season of Search Party, so good. You've been quite enjoying Starstruck by Rose Matafeo. I'm only a couple of eps in. I'm late to the party, I know, and I love Rose and what she does. Love her. Like, it's such a such a fun idea. It's kind of like an inverse Notting Hill, which I just watched again on the weekend and is truly like a platonic ideal of a rom-com, I think. And Starstruck is kind of takes that um, is in the same family as like a Notting Hill where it's a famous person meets regular person and they fall in love. And I really loved the first season. Like I inhaled it in one sitting and then I think just started it again and started watching the whole series a second time and was really, really eager for the um, for the second season. But Something about the second season of Starstruck, which airs on ABC iView. If you're in Australia, you can stream all of it for free. The second season, I think, is where you see that the 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 tropes of the romantic comedy, where there's always that moment in the middle or in the third act where they've been pushed apart or there's for some reason they can't be together and then you have the big final grand gesture, the run to the airport or whatever right at the very end. That makes it so satisfying. The second season of Starstruck is kind of just that that third act trying to keep these people apart, mm. um, which I just don't know if it works as a as a longer series as well as it works in like a 90-minute classic feature length. Yeah, right. Like the TV adaptation of the rom-com is nothing new. Like Younger essentially is that. There's this new show that's just aired on Stan or dropped on Stan in Australia, Everything I Know About Love, which is an adaptation of Dolly Alderton's memoir. And that's kind of rom-com-y, but it's also very much like about friendship at its core. Like Mindy Kaling, The Mindy Project, Mm. was essentially this six-season-long, you know, rom-com meta-commentary that flopped hard by the end when the guy she ended up with was not great not a happy ending at all um but yeah I just don't know if tv is like if the makings of a rom-com work so well can be like adapted so well for a tv format yeah right there's um, a really good profile of Rose Matafeo in the New Yorker um, from a couple of months ago when season two of Starstruck just came out mm-hmm. about like working within and subverting the rom-com genre, mm. which is really interesting that we'll link to. Oh, also in Starstruck, 
she works at her character works at one of my very favorite London cinemas, oh. the Castle in Homerton. Oh. And it's so cute, makes me really miss London. It's funny also that you mentioned Dolly Alderton because I started listening to the podcast Sentimental Garbage mm. British podcast. I started listening in Feb last year when Dolly Alderton joined it to do Sentimental in the City. Yes, which was a episode by episode breakdown of like seasons, full seasons of Sex in the City. But the actual podcast at large, Sentimental Garbage, looks at what is commonly classed as sentimental garbage. And a lot of them are deep dives into rom-coms, ah, into okay. particular films, which is I, really great. I've only listened to their And Just Like That episodes. So I didn't really have a context for like what the show was outside of that because I'd heard people talking about it. Yeah, they'll do like a big Nora Ephron, you know, ep. Very good. The queen. The queen. The goat. Speaking of, I mean, there's you just really can't go past When Harry Met Sally, obviously. I feel like we mm-hmm. don't even really need to spend any time talking <laughs> about it because it's just perfect, a perfect film. Yeah. A film I could put on at any point of any day. For anyone. In any mood. Yeah. When you asked me before, what's my mood? My mood. I might be in a mood, but that mood is also <laughs> about to watch When Harry Met Sally. Mine but is You've Got Mail. I lo- yeah, a good yeah. one. A good one. Yeah. Well, if you feel like you have come to the end of the road with your, like, Meg Ryan rom-coms, mm-hmm. particularly with When Harry Met Sally, I've got two see also's for people who need something else. This is me. Thank you for these personal recommendations. They're both from 1995. Great. Good year. <laughs> One is French Kiss with Meg Ryan opposite Kevin Klein playing uh-huh. a Frenchman. Um, and it features a scene to rival the I'll have what she's having famous moment in Katz's Deli. Ooh. But Meg Ryan is on a train eating too much cheese and she is like, Screaming out the window, lactose intolerance. (laughs) (laughs) So I recommend that. But there's also Billy Chris. If you're on the Billy Crystal tip, he was in Forget Paris, two French-themed 1995 films. Oh, oui, oui. Opposite Deborah Winger. Okay, well, these are both going on my personal... Yeah, like if you feel like list. you can't watch When Harry Met Sally one, you know, too many times I anymore. Just, I just need to expand the pool a little. Yeah, I, I expanded the pool significantly, I, I feel, a, a couple of months ago. I watched what is widely considered a classic rom-com that I had never seen before, had routinely missed it in my watches. It's called Crossing Delancey by Joan Micklin-Silver from 1988 and stars Amy Irving as... This woman who works in like a very literary bookstore in New York City. Uh huh. So she's a little bit uptown in that way. Um, but she is has doesn't have a great dating or romantic life. But she keeps going to visit her beloved Bobby downtown, and her Bobby wants to set her up with this guy who owns a pickle store. And so <laughs> Amy Irving, as Isabel, feels that like maybe he's a little bit beneath her, or like the world that she's actually trying to escape sure. from. And she's got this big crush on this very Philip Roth style author who keeps coming to do readings, etc. But. It also stars our girl, Suzzy Roach of The Roaches. Oh, my God. Yeah, and The Roaches do quite a lot of the music in the film. Wow. I it's, can't wait till we do our Roaches episode. Uh, we got to do it. Well, you got to watch this one. But I really felt like 
this film and its perfect uh, 1988 production design and clothing, my God, the clothes in this film, and they're like extreme hair looks, like just kind of f- like frizzy, frizzy hair. Yeah. Love it. Staticky. Exactly. Yeah. I really feel like this has been missing like my whole life, this mm-hmm. when I watched it. It was so comforting but prickly, like the main character is really prickly and I love that. But it's kind of like... I feel like a lot of people rediscovered Moonstruck during the pandemic. Though a lot of articles came out about Moonstruck, and I feel like this is the this is the next step for you if you watch Moonstruck a couple of times now. Gotcha. I love. There's nothing better than that feeling of watching something and having that. It's the feeling I had after I saw Girlfriends for the first time. Like, how did I ever miss this? How did I live without this? I felt the same way about that film too, which yeah. is a platonic rom com kind of. Yeah, Not but really. it sounds like that yeah. was kind of the effect Crossing the Lancy had. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's going on my list too. Um, there's also a great article uh, from a couple of years ago now uh, by Wesley Morris in the New York Times. It was from 2019 and it was called Rom-coms were corny and retrograde. Why do I miss them so much? Mm. And it's really great. He, at one point he says, romantic comedy is the only genre committed to letting relatively ordinary people, no capes, no spaceships, no infinite sequels, figure out how to deal meaningfully with another human being. I was like, that's yeah. 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 Anyway, we'll link to that. It's a really great piece. That that mention of other people, I think, is because I've been trying to get to the – I've been – besides, like, having my list of movies that I either liked or didn't like, knowing that we were going to be talking about this, I tried to figure out what I had to say about the current state of rom-coms or historically what they meant to me. And I just kept trying to pin down like why they've been so unsatisfying in recent years. And I'm like, is it a technology thing? Is it that seeing people texting on screen is is not that interesting? Mm. Or seeing people whose like jobs are similar to mine is not that interesting. Everyone loves having a writer in a film anyway. Um, and I you think, write what you know. <laughs> I think one of the it's the other people that has been like a common theme where I feel like in recent years and it's pre-COVID, it's not like a COVID thing. I think beyond the main couple and maybe their like token friends, there's not much of a world around them, which I think we took for granted how much that really made a movie like Notting Hill, for example, like watching that on the weekend, like there is so much color, both literally and like emotionally in that film, that famous scene when Anna's left and and Hugh Grant's character is walking down, you know, the the market in Notting Hill as and it's one quote unquote one take as Ain't No Sunshine plays and you see the seasons change across a year. You see the world that he lives in, you know, his workmates, there's dialogue that's not just about his relationship. He's got the, that group of friends. Um, I've been reading a bunch of um, or watching a bunch of press about Fire Island, which just came out on Disney Plus in Australia, which falls into the category of both the gay rom-com, but also from a few episodes ago, we talked about like period adaptations. It's a new Pride and Prejudice retelling. But Joel Kim Booster in writing that film was very inspired by the Notting Hill group of friends and wanted to to have a very real feeling like community around the main stars, which you really feel like it feels like a you're invested in a person if you see that they have a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I love the staff in You've Got Mail. 
Oh, you know, like, when they're singing, yeah, the that's... horn, the Steve Zahn. Oh my god! But like, that's what I remember. Yeah, from it, and the friend who's in um, Miss Congeniality with Sandy B. Yes, yes, yes. Who's uh... the young girl who works with her? Don't know their names. But she's special to me. She's important to me. (laughs) Iconique. Yeah, so I wanted to recommend... It's a movie that I think is perfect. From top to bottom, casting, perfect, location, perfect, storyline, perfect. It's the film Dan in Real Life, starring Steve Carell. His his love interest is, we mentioned her earlier, Julia Binoche. It has a perfect cast and also Dane Cook is in it. Um... (laughs) Diane Weiss plays Steve Carell's mother. The premise is like a man who is widowed with his three teenage daughters or one slightly younger than teenage goes where they go every year to his parents' house. They're closing up the summer house for winter or whatever. So it's all these adult children and their families and everything. And this one, yeah, he meets this new woman in town who is Juliet Binoche And then things happen and it is a perfect film and I love it dearly. I also really loved, there was an episode recently of the Rewatchables podcast and they were talking about Knocked Up when Apatow kind of moved into his version of a rom-com. They posited this this new genre descriptor of the com-rom where it was like, the jokes took precedence over like the romance because who really watched that movie wanting Catherine Heigl and Seth Rogen to like be together forever? Not a me. Not a me. At one point in the film, he clearly lost interest in them and became more interested in the like Leslie Mann, Paul Rudd um, relationship, which spun off into This Is 40. Anyway, that conversation was really interesting and made me think about the Seth Rogen leading man move. And I really loved the Kevin Smith movie, Zach and Mary Make a Porno. Oh gosh, I haven't thought about that in ages. Yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah. Like when I think about like really nice sex scenes in rom-coms there's one it's the one where the best friends played by elizabeth banks and seth rogan have to finally have sex on camera for their porno which is the premise of the film um and that's when it all kind of like comes together no no pun intended and they just are like staring into each other's eyes and everyone around them is kind of like I mean, this is really nice, but it's not porn. It's too, it's really sweet though. <laughs> it's tender. Yeah. And he was also in Longshot in recent years with Charlize Theron, which. Oh, didn't see it. It's not a pairing that I would have thought of, but it works. Uh, there was a piece I'm going to link in the notes, a read also, this piece on Vulture, all about my best friend's wedding and the way that Julia Roberts, who was like the star of romantic comedies at the time, did that film with this desire to kind of break the genre, like how her character was so unlikable and so nasty. And it was PJ Hogan's, you know, they had PJ Hogan come from Muriel's wedding to make my best friend's wedding. And, you know, it talks about Julia Roberts loving Muriel's wedding, which I really enjoyed as well. Um, And I just want to give a plug to the documentary romantic comedy made by Elizabeth Sankey, um, which came out a few years ago. You can rent it on Amazon Prime. And it's kind of like a film essay about the genre and like a very specific period where it was kind of at its peak and what it contributed to pop culture and how it kind of failed certain audiences. And there are a bunch of like very smart talking heads. And then I am also a part of it. Cool. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Little plug. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I feel like we started off going 
Oh, the rom-com. What's there? What's left? And we actually have a lot left to watch. Our list is long, turns out. Mm, funny that. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. Mm. It's time for Also Also's, the bit of the show at the end where we recommend things that we're loving unrelated to everything else we've been talking about. <laughs> BL, what's your first? My first one is a carry also. Um, I recently bought a few things from the Lazy Oaf website. I haven't really shopped on Lazy Oaf for like 10 years, but they did a collaboration with Crocs that I was very excited about. And I thought if I'm going to be paying for shipping for my Crocs, I may as well have a browse of what else is there. I ended up buying this little crossbody bag. It's called the Wild Mini Bag, and it's one of those really compact ones that you can kind of... I took it to the club on the weekend before I left after two hours. Le Cinema Club? Uh, no, <laughs> Le Techno Club. <laughs> and um, it was perfect for that. It uh, doesn't carry a whole lot, can't fit my big chunky phone case in it, but that's fine. It's always in my hand. And it's this little kind of like tiger print crossbody bag. But the strap is really long and really adjustable, so it's kind of perfect. Highly recommend. Love. Yeah. My first one is a read also. Mm -hmm. There's a new edition, very exciting, of Walking Through Clearwater in a Pool Painted Black by Cookie Mueller, uh, which originally came out in 1990. It was like an anthology of uh, some of her essays, but it's just been republished with an introduction by Olivia Lang, who we love. And um, the old one had a selection of her essays, really brilliant essays, but this one has all of the plus a few pieces from Ask Dr. Mueller, which came out a few years after um, Walking Through Clear Water. Also great, must have. Um, But her columns from Details Magazine and East Village Eye and The Jewel is a few previously unpublished pieces. Mm. Um, So this is like a really great addition if you're new to Cookie Mueller Mm -hmm. or if you're a cookie completist like moi um there's a great blurb from john waters uh on the back of the book which is cookie Mueller wrote like a lunatic uncle remus spinning little stories from hell that will make any reader laugh out loud and if that does not like tickle your fancy wet your appetite then you are lost to me because that is the ideal writer no has a greater blurb ever existed Mm-mm-mm. what a compliment i know fuck and then when you're done with this new edition i want to say again i've said it a few times but go back and read edgewise a portrait of cookie Mueller, which is the oral history of her life um which we mentioned last in the warhol diaries episode it was one of the greatest oral histories i've ever read i need to take your advice and and read this so that i can fully understand you. Oh, I love cookie. My next one is a cook also. The recipe writer Eric Kim, who has a column in the New York Times, his first cookbook about like Korean American cuisine came out very recently. I haven't got a copy yet, but I'm dying to. But he has just published the New York Times does this series that's like 10 essential recipes from like different cultures or different cuisines or uh, or types of eating. And he has just contributed 10 essential Korean recipes. I adore Korean food. I love Korean cooking. I love learning about it. And I'm so excited to like dive in and start, you know, go to the end of the list and make his kimchi and then scroll back up and use the kimchi in certain other recipes. There's a video on their YouTube that I watched twice today for the army base stew where it's like, got spam and kielbasa and daikon and then noodles with American cheese on top. Just this 
this merging of cultures and the way that he speaks about food is just fascinating. Like he describes this stew, this jjigae as having ghosts in it because of its connection to war and conflict and, and the way that people had to like make do with rations and things like that. Oh, that sounds so good. He's just so great. I am hungry just hearing this. <laughs> no, I want to eat that. <laughs> it kind of ties weirdly into the name of what I'm going to recommend next. Oh, yeah. I've got to listen also, and it's the Bring a Plate podcast. Oh, we love Bring a Plate. So we've gone from Cooking Mueller to a Cook Also to a Bring a Plate <laughs> podcast. That's very funny. Uh, so Bring a Plate is a excellent podcast by Peter Taggart and Beck Shaw, Australian icons, legends, extremely funny people. You never know when one of their episodes is going to drop. It's not regular. Was that three years between the last two? I think so. Um, So it kind of keeps you on your podcast toes. You've got to stay subscribed. You You never know. Absolutely. Just have to stay subscribed. Um, Full disclosure, BL, you have been a guest on this podcast. Yes. On a recent episode, I think they described me as being like their most regular guest. <laughs> but mostly I just wanted to mention it as a prod. Uh, if they are listening, please make more episodes. Please make more. They're so funny. Like we're busy business women, as I keep saying, and we're doing it weekly, you know, come on. It's hard, but someone's got to do it and it should be you two. <laughs> exactly. It should be you two, not us. <laughs> I second that. Maybe that's mine as well. (laughs) My final one is a watch also. Um, I think I mentioned it in a recent episode, but Barry season three, it just finished on binge. It is the best TV show that I have watched this year. Better than Severance? Better than Severance. You have, I was about to say, you've heard me talk about Severance and Barry is just, I think it's so well written. It's so well acted. I was listening to a kind of post-finale discussion on the Watch podcast where the critic Andy Greenwald was describing like how Barry tells you how to watch it. And because it had been three years since the end of season two and the start of season three, there was this kind of like I found myself being a little thrown by going, who are these people they're talking about? And I forget what happened last season. I did a lot of kind of recapping and and re-watching and reading about where they left off. But Barry also kind of it takes you on this like journey that is, you know, it's a dark comedy for all intents and purposes, but there was like one joke in the finale, which was a really anxious 30 minutes or however long it is of TV. And it was a really fucking great joke, but you know, it's just, it's an incredible piece of work. I'm not sure if season four is going to be the last season, but Apparently Bill Hader is going to go the like auteur route and like write and direct everything. Wow. Which will be interesting. I'm going back to watch Barry from the start. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. I look, I love Barry. I am yet to watch this season purely because it's so, I get so involved in it and I'm like, I don't know that I'm quite ready for it yet. At the same time, I do not want the spoilers. So I feel like I'm just going to have to do it. Yes. It's really hard to, it's really hard to watch. It's really hard to watch a beloved actor like Bill Hader do such horrible things. It's really hard to watch him struggle as well. The development of his character, but also Henry Winkler's character, his acting teacher this season is so fascinating to watch, but also like his partner, Sally goes through this kind of like real Hollywood journey where she's like selling a show to like streaming services and, and seeing how like fame and Hollywood like corrupt a person. 
and um, also Darcy Carden, who has been in it since the start. Like she was one of the students in Barry and Sally's acting class taught by Henry Winkler. Her role has kind of been expanded this season to like great effect. And she, I think, is going to be on the podcast in coming months to That's cool. chat about that and the League of Their Own reboot and a few other things that she's working on. Yeah, cool. Yeah. My last one is a freeze also. It's real chilly here in the Southern Hemisphere, particularly in Melbourne oh, right burr. now. Oh, burr. And the only way I am getting through is by doing that extremely dull, boring thing of doing like batch cooking and like freezing everything so that... You know, work is quite hectic. Girl bosses meal prep. <sighs> exactly. I feel so like pretty basic recommending this, but you know, <laughs> I do what I can for my other girl bosses. Uh, <laughs> this is a lemon lentil and spinach soup. And you know what? Yum. The recipe is from taste.com.au. I mean, it's there in the title. They know what's tasty. <laughs> I it's like it's the least fancy thing I could be <laughs> recommending here but it's a really truly incredibly delicious soup that sounds bright and kind of almost like detoxy yeah it's yeah. really it's really good yeah. I'll link to the recipe love thanks for listening to see also we'd love it if you love this to leave a review on apple Podcasts. give us you know some chuck us some stars Tell us what you like about us. Um, you can also do that on Instagram. We are at See Also Podcast. Um, tell your friends about the show and tag us so we can see what you're saying. Thanks as always to Samuel Hodge for our beautiful artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.